Digital is the future, and we are that future. Touch HD. Hi guys, welcome to A Toast with Carrie. Nice to be with you again. And this week we've got two fascinating interviews. One with legendary Jan Bullankutzer, who is the owner and now retiring cellar master and winemaker of Friesenhof Winery. He's an ex-Springbok rugby player. He is a legend in his own time, both in the wine industry and on the South African sort of history pages. He is. And he's handing over to his young cellar master called Nicky Klaassen. The two of them are going to be in the studio with me. We're going to be chatting about how you hand over the baton when it's such a big one to hand over. And more importantly, how do you how do you grab hold of it if you're the youngster who's been allocated to do so? So that's the story of Friesenhof. And then during the course of the week, I caught up with Craig and Anne Vessels, a fabulous couple who you would all love, just really, really um, encouraging and and inspiring people who gave up everything that they had. He had a, a TV commercial business, I think, gave it up. She had a modeling business of sorts and gave it all up, gave up their fancy schmancy house in Cape Town and went to near Hermanus, um, bought a farm and threw everything they had at a label called Restless River. And they are truly remarkable wines. So fill up your glasses with something nice. Uh, and if you're not doing that, if you're in the bus, if you're in the taxi, if you're in the train, whatever it is, wherever you are, enjoy the two interviews that we recorded for you this week for A Toast with Carrie. You with us, you win. Case closed. Touch HD. I've got the infamous, ubiquitous Jan Bolan Kutzer. Touch HD. So it's not as daunting as it seems to be in a cellar with, with Jan? No, it's, harvest is maybe sometimes a bit challenging um, mm. with the difference of opinions. But other than that, it's actually not that difficult to work for him. Jan, your love of Burgundian wines, I, I've always loved that you are sort of Mr. Pinot Noir in South Africa. Is it still your first love, your only love, the one that you don't really want to hand on to Nikki? Are you going to keep making the Pinot Noir? No, no. Nikki is now making. We've planted a new vineyard, mm-hmm. and the selection is obviously. We started in '78 with Pinot, and then, sort of, let's say, the first release at Friesenau was only in 2000. So we spent a lot on the plant material side. Yes. And that vineyard that's really making us happy now is about 10 years. And it's from a single selection from yes. the original material. Yes. I was chatting yesterday with with Craig Vessels from Restless River. Um, he brought some of his wines to Johannesburg, and I was tasting his Chardonnay and his Pinot Noir. He's also making beautiful Pinot Noir. I don't know if you've tasted any. But I think that, as you say, the plant material is so much more, it's much cleaner. It's all virus-free stuff. I'm, I'm assuming that yours is too. And we were talking about age of vineyard, um, and his are also around about eight, ten years, and starting to produce beautiful fruit. What do you think is the optimum age for a Pinot Noir vine? No, I think, uh, I mean, the friends are talking about eight years. It seems as us it's take maybe a little longer, like ten, eleven years rather, and what, closer to that than eight. What clone are you using? What's your vineyard? Well, 
the it depends on the area yes. so the you you see the place is as important so yes that one is on table mountain sand sandstone that we're referring to now but the shale soil still gives us the more refined pinot yes characteristics yes so you're happy to hand over the pinot yeah all the wine making hand it over to neki hey I've what do you do? Do you just boss him about in the cellar now or what? No. I, rather in the vineyard than in the <laughs> cellar. I've always thought if I've got some spare years that I would love to spend some more time in, in the vineyards. And well, you studied enology hope, and viticulture, so that's really where you belong is in I'm those I'm a farmer vineyards. by heart. So you are the, the quintessential I, South African wine farmer. I love the mountain where we are. I love the soil. I love plowing and, and digging and <laughs> fiddling in the soil all the time. It, it, uh, it, but it's a big privilege to still be, let's say, as old as I am. And it's a wonderful privilege. Still be privilege. healthy and it is. can walk around every day. Especially bearing in mind that you were a Springbok rugby player. <laughs> and I looked at those boys at the game last weekend and I thought, how does anybody get out of that thing alive? It's such a brutal game. It's very brutal. I can't believe that you play a game like that for any amount of years and can age into an old person. Your body is stretched to the absolute maximum capacity in every form of fashion. You look as bright as a button and as healthy as the day you were born. I think the, the reason is it's a rough game, but it's played by a gentleman. And Skullbritz has That's just good. showed it now. Yes. By, let's say, capturing the imagination of the Japanese people. Yes. I mean, it, these guys are making us so proud at the moment. Do you think we're going to win on Saturday? It'll be hard, but we, we can. I mean, we will know when the final whistle blow, not before. I know. <laughs> well, there was a joke that somebody sent me on my, on my WhatsApp this morning that said, um, a Kiwi and an Australian walked into a bar. The South Africans still in Japan. <laughs> so the yeah. New Zealanders and the Aussies really thought they were going to still be in Japan, and we stayed there. I don't know how we won that game last Saturday because I don't know much about rugby, but it looked like we were floundering around a bit. It, it but, was long enough. <laughs> <laughs> but and then I saw I saw how the English played the day before, and I thought, mm, I'm half English, half South African. Who am I going to shout for on Saturday? I think I'm going to have to shout for the Boca. Mm? Why you shout, sh uh, shout? Shout not only will you help. I mean, you have to pray also. We know we've got to do quite a bit <laughs> of praying. So, enough of that. Enough of the rugby and what have you. On to Nikki. You studied it at Stellenbosch. You decided you wanted to become a winemaker. Why? It's. I suppose it's the the only place where. You, you really do a combination of both art and science at the same time. So you have the science part during harvest and then the art while blending for the new vintage. So. And how much how much science do you think is currently being applied to winemaking in South Africa? There's actually quite a lot of science being done behind the scenes. Um, most probably a lot more on the sensorial and on your viticultural side. Um, so the combination of the two has always been important. It's always the combination that mm -hmm. works. Um, it's 
difficult with uh, natural fermentations and uh, the shift to natural wine and those sort of things where the science becomes a little bit blurry. Um, but, I mean, most winemakers have a, a hint of science behind them. Well, science is a large part of it. I know I, when I was doing my studies as well, you've got to be able to do science and chemistry and all that sort of stuff. And there's a huge amount of delicate, careful chemistry that has to go on in the art and craft of winemaking. And I think that with the world the way it is at the moment, the world has gone crazy. We all know that the world is mad at the moment. You're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to put anything in a paper bag. You know, It's just crazy. And the wine industry is no different. So I am being approached by loads of people on a daily basis saying, I'll buy this freezing off, but is it organic or is it biodynamically grown? For me, I don't care because I don't think that you can make anything that is 150% organic. There's no such thing. How are you counterbalancing that organic move where everybody's gone crazy green? Well, it, it's very difficult because organic is, on one hand, a very, very good marketing gimmick. Mm. And on the other hand, it's not really that organi organic. Um, no. the, the biggest thing is they use inorganic sulfur in their vineyards. Yes. So it's not that healthy for you, nor for the environment. Mm. Um, so to be 100% organic, you have to have huge capital balance behind yes. you because yes. you should be able to take the risk of losing between 80 and 90% of your crop because you're not spraying for it. And also, if, you, <laughs> if you're willing to run the risk of not having sulfur in your wine, then you might have spoilage after a year or two. So it's a huge risk to do it. It's a massive risk. And I think, Jan, will you agree with me? I mean, when, when you and I sort of first started out life in the wine industry, nobody really spoke about sulfur. They didn't speak about farming organically. It all just seemingly happened. And I don't think, I think it's only really in the last 15 years that the world went a little bit skew but when we were kids we got milk delivered to our door in glass bottles we didn't have supermarkets there were no plastic bags so it was largely if if i think about where we came from it was pretty much organic we weren't doing anything that was particularly toxic i'm trying to remember which generation actually introduced the toxicity into the world uh, and i don't think it was us no. Jan, was it us? No, no. I think it no. was Nick's It was Nicky's generation. But it, it just shows you by asking these questions how important these signs. Yes. Because there's no doubt that we have to. We've given our planet's name, Mother Earth. Yes. But just ask ourselves how we treat it. I mean, that's that's now really. Yes. Not something nice. So, I say we must know as much as possible about science and technology and try and do it as environmentally friendly as yes. possible. Yes. Both for land or for the land and mm. for the people. Yes. It's true. I always say that it stands to reason that the planet Earth has gone through many, many stages. It's gone through Bronze Age, Ice Age, Iron Age, Age of the Dinosaurs. For us to presume that we are effective enough to stuff it all up is very presumptuous. <laughs> one swipe, one hefty, healthy swipe from Mother Earth and we'll all be history. But I do agree with you 
that we need to try and get to a place where we're replenishing and respecting what Mother Earth gives us rather than buggering it up with toxics and waste and, and plastics and all that sort of stuff. Having said that, we do have to put sulfur in our wine. So anybody mm. who thinks that they're going to drink wine that doesn't have any sulfur in it, well, you can, but it's not a, it's not a particularly pleasurable experience. Mm. Do you agree? No, very much so. Yeah. Uh, the person who, who develops a, a um, preservative and microbiological um, agent that actually is not toxic will make a killing. Billions. Billions, instantly. Are you working on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Organic chemistry, as fun as it is, it's never been my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we should put Jan to work with organic chemistry yeah. and see if he can well, come up with something. Is, there's organic chemistry in the soil, there's in the product, in the fruit. Mm. I mean, it's, it's mm. all over. Mm. And that the one thing, Kerry, I think we mustn't fool ourselves there new generation with the help of science and technology will make better wines than we did of in the past. They, yeah, of course As they will. I've got no doubt in my mind if I just see mm. what's happening in terms of potential in the vineyard and potential in it's, the processes. It's called progress. I mean, mm. Aubert de Villain call it nature will be master, but science will make its contribution you can come to nature with all your technologies and obviously she can knock it down yes but it lead you into new routes which which will be better in the well future. i think i agree with you i think that we've already seen a move in south africa towards much cleaner brighter uh, prettier wines than what we've been used to from all around the world they're delicate they're dainty they're restrained they're refined. They're all the things that they're polished. They're all the things that we want them to be. And I think that that is as a result of a lot of technology and a lot of help um, mm. from the technological and scientific world. If I were to say to you, you've got one favorite wine in the Friesenhof family. Jan, which is your favorite Friesenhof wine? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question. Only one. You're only allowed one. You can change your mind and make it different tomorrow, but for today, your favorite Friesenhof wine. I think the Calista is still a, a, a leading sort of wine in our range because of its history. Yes. And because of the connection with Cabernet Sauvignon and Stellenbosch. I mean, Tell us the history of Callista. For everybody, it's a Friesenhof Bordeaux-style blend. It's a very, very underrated wine. It flies under the radar and has done for many, many years. It's delicious. Yeah, we, we started it in 1974. Uh, 1984 was the first vintage we released. 1984. So, And we, we've skipped, skipped the vintage here and there, but very little. Mm. And we've always tried to, to make it our flagship wine. Yes. Yes. Because I'm, I think Stellenbosch is actually Cabernet country. I mean, For sure. I'm always amazed. I, need, I mean, Nikki just showed me two days or three days ago the 2018 cab. The, the pure, obviously, we use most of the Cabernet in our yes. Calista, but a couple of barrels that we kept from our oldest vineyard, and it's then you really. Uh, see that Cabernet is king, king in Stellenbosch. No, it is. It's a little bit more than king. Without I mean, I had the privilege now recently with the Canonco book, 
we opened the 66 and uh, 73 and wow. both those wines were still far too young in 750 really? that's amazing yeah. uh, that's that's a that's a something that you and i will discuss one day when we're sitting on the veranda chatting i do not understand how canon corp has continued to make wine that that has longevity so many wines in south africa are blown up and dead within eight to ten years you really really can sell a canon cup wine i don't know what they do there i don't know how they get that balance spot on but that wine is probably one of the few wines that comes out of south africa that is sellable for a long time well, let's hope the new generation will also sell some and them in time to well, come. Let's hope so. So, Callista's your favorite, your favorite baby in your family, Nikki. What's your favorite Friesenhof? Chardonnay. It's been the Chardonnay from the beginning. Really? Yeah. It's the most fun to work with. Um, it's it's a, a grape that's that's very lenient, so it allows you to fiddle with it quite a bit mm-hmm. if you want to, mm-hmm. um, and also beautiful if you just leave it alone. So it's it's the most fun to work with now. We're talking about the new generation of Friesenhof, and I think that it's so it's brilliant to watch somebody like Jan handing all of his knowledge and all of his everything over to a new generation. There's a lot of places where that doesn't happen. Somebody hangs on to what they've got, and the brand dies as a result of it. So you giving Friesenhof a big Botox injection at this stage of the game, you are Friesenhof's Botox. What are you going to do in the cellar to, I don't think that you would want to change too much, but how are you going to liven it up? How are you going to make it young and generational? Well, there's not much that we will change in, in the cellar. Um, small things that, that will be changed. I mean, it's basically fermentation temperatures and whether we do a lot of pump overs or no pump overs, skin contact or no skin contact. And, and I lean more towards the, the less skin contact is more. Um, and then also changing the oaking regime to adding, introducing a little bit more new oak, but without dominating, mm. and then trying to get a more fruit-driven style compared to the older vintages, which were a bit more on the um, uh, leathery, mm. um, well, heavier style. Yes, they were so battery, oaky, leathery. Yolk. And not just that, you, you had a, a bigger tannin structure because most of the wines were going to be aged for 10 before years before people start drinking it where mm. at the moment we sit with the situation where you have to be able to drink the wine tomorrow absolutely and in five years and in 10 years time so it's a balance so it's a reduction of tannin um being a bit more subtle with, with certain things mm. um, so yeah it's it's not changing much it's just tweaking and you have you still got your paradise clove range no paradise clove range has been completely scrapped got rid of it yeah so the, what was in the paradise clove range is now basically the free snow screw cap range I can't believe that you agreed to a screw cap, Jan. I would never <laughs> have agreed friend, to a screw cap. My friend, Ellis <laughs> <laughs> but he's still choosing the cork bottle. After, yeah, exactly. After five years. I'm like you. I fought with everybody. I came back from England. I fought with the whole world about this ghastly screw cap. And I always said, if I want screw cap, I'll buy a bottle of Coca-Cola. You don't want screw cap on a bottle of wine, except that I do have to agree that it's quite handy if you're at the beach or on a picnic but why would anybody not want to put a cork into a bottle of wine? It is the ultimate closure for wine. Screw cap has been proven to be okay, but certainly not better than cork. And I haven't noticed Chateau Lafitte being bottled under screw cap. 
Last time I looked, Latash still had a cork in it. I don't know. Hmm? No, you won't see those wine <laughs> screw caps. That's what you got. <laughs> so, we've, so we have got freezing off wine under screw cap. Oh, okay. And what's in the screw cap range? So we have an unwooded Chardonnay, yeah. um, a Grenache Rosé, and then a Grenache blend, which is uh, Grenache Shiraz Mauved and Pinotage. I love that Grenache blend. I have to tell you that Grenache is my current favorite grape. I'm having a big love affair with Grenache. It's like, it's like the poor man's Pinot Noir, sort of, Grenache. Yeah. And if it's nicely made, it's got that beautiful sweet red strawberry berry raspberry fruit. I love it. And it's light and it's pretty and it's nice for summer. It's a beautiful wine for summer, yeah, because of that, because it's light and pretty. Yeah. But it can also be quite um, complicated and heavy, depending on how Is it easy to make? It's surprisingly easy to make. Is it? Yeah. Um, it, it, it comes down to how you approach it. Do you want to make a light, fruity, um, approachable style, or do you want it a bit more heavy, dark fruit, pepper spice? Yeah. So it depends on how you handle it, yeah. Yeah. Jan, in your experience, what's the easiest grape to work with in the cellar? No, I mean, I only, I, everything is easy because I. Because <laughs> you love it all. I've, I love it all and I've, I've done it all. <laughs> but some grapes but, are uh, more difficult than others, aren't they? Yeah, I think if you talk tannin and all those things, then obviously, as Nikki has mentioned, the fermentation and the temperature specifically, the time, the pump overs or the pushing the cap like it can mm. go, all those things are playing a big role. Pinot Noir is a difficult grape to deal with. Pinot Noir is a bit of a premenstrual woman, isn't it? Yeah. You can say yes. No, I'm going to disagree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had this conversation a few times, and I understand why people think it's a difficult grape, but it, it's not really. Um, if your management in the vineyards is correct, um, and you're harvesting it at, at the correct bulling for your mm. your style of wine, it's not necessarily a difficult grape to work with. Um, really? No, it, it becomes complicated when you start fiddling with adding stems or no stems or skin contact. Mm. And, and the, when you're trying to get too creative with it, it's mm. going to bite you. Mm. But if you treat it as, as the delicate lady she is, it's really not that difficult. So as we sit here and now in the Friesenhof range, if the listener wants to go and buy Friesenhof, what have we got? We've got, well, you tell us. Um, so the Friesenhof range, we have the Pinot Noir. The Pekingese Cliff Grenache, uh, barrel fermented Chardonnay, then we have uh, the Callista, and then on the screw cap we have the unwooded Chardonnay, the Grenache Rosé, the uh, Grenache Shiraz Mouvet blend, and the uh, Pinotage. So you've refined your offering really, which is clever, because I think people now have got so much to choose from that if they know that they like a particular property, they don't want to have five billion things from that property to choose from. So you've refined your, your thing down. You don't have the Talana Hill range anymore, no. hey? Yeah. So you've got rid of Paradise Cliff and Talana Hill. You've refined it right down to your sort of Rolls Royce and then your your City Golf. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it, it's nature that told us also, or it helps a lot. You were mm. asking about the Grenasse. Mm. I think our youngest Grenache is about eight years and the oldest about ten years now. And it's but really starting to show all these, let's call it, fresher elements. Yes. 
pretty. It's amazing how it's improved now. From, but Jan, haven't in the you last got? Haven't you got that old Grenache vineyard that belonged to your family somewhere in yeah, the yeah, Swartland? Yeah, yeah, that's a big and new school. Yes, Grenache. Yeah. Isn't that much older than ten years? No, no, I'm just talking about the the, the one that we're selling. The screw cap guy. The screw cap guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, okay. that's that's maybe most probably more than seventy years old now. Because that produces an extraordinary wine, which is in your yeah. Rolls Royce. Yeah, yeah it's very really little now, especially with the drought these past yeah. three, four years. Yeah, but we'll try and. Well, it's very exciting. I, I I'm so chuffed to see that you decided to do less but still be around I'm even more chuffed to know that we found somebody who can put up with you and somebody who can work with you in that cellar and in those vineyards because <laughs> that must take a special way I mean how do you how do you even start to try and be a young Borland you have to just be yourself don't you no, no you, you never try and be young Borland he's he's the person he's the man yeah um, and there's no point in trying to emulate or be young it's, it's, yes Irrelevant. I haven't tasted the wines recently, but so I haven't been able to taste whether there's a shift in style from Jan Boiland to Nicky Klaassen. Is there? There is. There's a quite a distinct change. Is there? Um, there? There's a shift without losing the identity of the property. Yes. But there's a definite change in personality here. Good. Well, there has to be. And we've replanted all the, most of the vineyards, and we'll still replant the rest. So yes, it is a new start, actually. It's fantastic. Well, good luck, guys. Thank it's very much. exciting. We'll put all the wines on the. I don't know how what cooks does. It's not a. Po- this is a podcast. I don't know yes. if they what happens, but we'll tell everybody where they are, and how they how they are available, mm-hmm. and how much they cost. All that sort of stuff, we'll do that. And we're going to take a picture so we can put it on the podcast as well. And everybody can see two legends who are making <laughs> brilliant wine. Thank you for coming into the studios to have this, this interview. It's a great pleasure. pleasure. If you want to be the best, be digital with Touch HD.